Well, look, hey, welcome to those of you that are over in the venue. Welcome to those of you watching online. Maybe you're listening on the radio. Glad you're with us. Hey, uh, Citizens Way, thank you for leading worship over in the uh, venue. I was over there for a while, and, and you guys are really, really gifted people who love the, the Lord. And by the way, just so that you all know, over in the venue and in here, uh, Citizens Way will be doing a, a concert tonight at Renew Church. And if you show up at the door and you say that you're a member at Big Valley, you get in for free. Every other church is paying to get in. <laughs> I'm kidding, it's all free. It's for free for anybody. It's free for anybody. And uh, what a great way to spend a, a Sunday evening is to go and worship the Lord with a, with a, with a great group. Okay, uh, take your Bibles and turn to two places, okay? I want you to turn to John chapter four. And then I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament and put your finger in at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you do not own a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room. When we're done, there's an altar room right over there in the venue, and we'll give you a Bible for free. We want to put the Word of God into your hands. If you're watching online, just show up down here on the church uh, uh, office on Monday, and we'll give you a Bible. We give out thousands and thousands of, of, of Bibles. I met a guy here last night who came up and he was just super pumped. He had his first Bible. He had friends who had Bibles. He had seen Bibles in other people's homes. But he came up and he said, I got my first Bible, Pastor. And he asked me if I might write something in it, and I did. We give out lots of Bibles here. We also buy Bibles and give them to other churches in our community that may not be able to afford them, but they wanna give them out to their people also. And so if you're here and you don't own a copy of the Word of God, just go pick one up when we're done. But uh, if you don't have a Bible today, all the verses will come up on the Jumbotron and all that's because we want you to see the, 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 the Word of God for yourself. As I told you last um, weekend, the, the Bible records just hundreds and hundreds of conversations that, that God has with his people. In the Old Testament, you actually hear the voice of God speaking and talking to some of his prophets. You get to the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what's recorded for us are all these great conversations between Jesus and, and people. Uh, last uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at John chapter three and the conversation that Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a powerful man. He was a religious leader. He was a somebody in the community. I mean, he, he was the kind of guy that if he walked into our church right now, everybody would turn around and go, hey, that's Nicodemus. He was the kind of man that, I don't know, if you were at the mall or the grocery store and he walked in, boom, you knew who that guy was. He was a very well-known, powerful somebody in the community. And then last week, we looked in John chapter four at a conversation that Jesus had with a woman at a well. We don't even know her name. But unlike, you know, Nicodemus, she, she was, you know, a nobody. She was a sinful woman. If she walked in here, nobody would turn around. No one would know who she was. If you were at the grocery store or the mall or whatever and, and she walked in, nobody would turn and look at her. Or if you did, it would be because you knew that that gal is just kind of sinful. She's evil. 
She's crummy. But the thing that we saw in both of those conversations was whether you're a somebody like Nicodemus or you're a nobody like this woman at a well, Jesus always has time for you. He doesn't care about your background. He doesn't care about you know, where you live in a city. He doesn't care how much money you got in your 401k or 403b or whatever. He came to be a blessing, if you will, to anybody. Anybody who wanted to talk with him, anybody who wanted him, he had time for. Well, today we're gonna look at a conversation Jesus had with a man that was a government official. He had a son that was basically on his deathbed and he comes to Jesus for help. Okay, so look at John chapter four and I'll start reading from verse 43, okay? At the end of the two days, what two days? You gotta go back to last week's sermon, last week's message. Jesus makes his way up through Samaria and he stays up there for two days, remember? At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown, yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything that Jesus did there. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in a nearby Capernaum, in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now for my little boy, before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. And we'll stop there, okay? Beloved, this man, this government official, was in need of a, a miracle, wasn't he? His son was dying. Apparently there wasn't a doctor or a, a PA or some, somebody who, who could help him. His son's dying. He knew he was dying. People had told him, your son's dying. And this man needed a miracle. And as I was studying this past week, I, I thought about you, 
my family here at Big Valley Grace, and some of you walked in here today, you walked in over at the venue, right? And, and you need a miracle. M maybe like this government official, it's a, it's a health miracle. M maybe like this government official, you have a, a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter who's very sick, and the doctors can't do anything. And you're here needing a miracle, right? Or, or, or maybe in your own life, maybe you went to the doctor this past week and they found a lump where there's not supposed to be a lump. Maybe they showed you an x-ray of a mass where there's not supposed to be a mass. And you walked in here today and, and, and you can relate to this guy. You need a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle in your finances. I know a lot of people who blew off the principles that are found in this book on how to handle their finances. And, and they're in debt up to their eyeballs. Things are, things are falling apart financially, right? And you're in here today going, look, look, my health is fine, but I need a financial miracle. I'm committed to living out biblical principles now. I've been through our compass class, your guys' compass class. I've been through all that, but frankly, I need a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle at work. You own a business. And yeah, the economy seems to be kind of humming along and, you know, uh, it seems like everything's doing well, but for whatever reason, your business is suffering. And you're worried, man, I don't know whether I'll be able to make payroll this month. We gotta, we gotta have a, a great second half of July, man, if I'm gonna make it. And you're in here today needing some sort of work miracle. Maybe you need a miracle in your, in your family. You came in here today and you're not even sitting with your spouse, right? Your marriage is over, it's dead. You need a resurrection. Or maybe you're sitting in here right now with your spouse and it ain't good. And you need a miracle in your, in your marriage. Maybe, maybe uh, you, you need a miracle and maybe in your family. Maybe you're here and, and you're a, a, a teenager, maybe you're a college student, I don't know, and you need a miracle in your family because your dad's gone sideways. The man who raised you to love God and honor God and his word for whatever reasons gone sideways. He wants nothing to do with God right now. And you need a miracle in your family in just a different way. Maybe it's your mother. Some of you need a job miracle. Yeah, every time you turn on the news, they say that, you know, America is in full employment, right? Keep hearing that. We're fully employed here. For some reason, you didn't get the memo. You're, you need a job. You need a miracle. I was thinking about our church, Big Valley Grace. It needs a miracle. You know, we, for a couple of years, have been trying to build this new you know, 18,000 square foot youth and children building where we can disciple kids and reach kids and all of that. And it's going to cost us about six million bucks. Anybody got six million they can write a check right now for? 
Probably not. We need a miracle, don't we? Our church is in need of a miracle, a financial miracle. I know for a fact that there are many of you out there right now that are facing some pretty bad odds. Or from your perspective, everything looks pretty bleak. You can totally identify with this government official. You get it. You heard the story and we're going, man, I get how that guy, I, I get it. He needed a miracle, I need a miracle. So here's what I, I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna jump out of this story, okay? And I wanna look at another story in the Old Testament that I think will be a, a blessing to many of us today, okay? It's the story where the people of Israel were facing long odds. They needed a miracle. The nation of Israel needed a miracle just like this government official needed a miracle just like some of you are in need of a miracle. And here's the deal, in this story, the nation of Israel is gonna get a miracle. And I think there's some things we can learn from what they, what they did as a people. So everybody turn to 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 20, okay? Now before I kind of walk through the story, I need to give you a little background. There are these three major nations that have decided to come together and attack Israel. There, there's these three ginormous nations and you know they, they've gotten together and they said, hey, let's go wipe out the nation of Israel, okay? They've decided to go to war with Israel and it's out of this story that we get some really great principles on how we ought to face life and we're looking at incredible odds. Israel was looking at some incredible odds here. And we're gonna see some really neat things that I think if we were to apply to our lives, we might see a miracle, maybe even today. So everybody look at verse one. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites uh, with some of the Minuites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. See that? The Jews are in big trouble here. This is three on one. This is a triple threat here. This is everybody's worst nightmare. You ever had a, a day when everything went wrong? You ever had a day when you felt like everything was against you? You know, you lose your job, the toilet backs up, the car blows a tire, the washing machine springs a leak, the babysitter cancels, you know, at the last minute. Ever had a day like that? Probably all of us, right? Well, if you've ever had a day like that, then this story's for you. These three enemy nations have come together to wipe out little Israel. Israel's back's against the wall. The odds of them win winning are really overwhelming. Things look bleak. They need a miracle. Just like the man in our story needed a miracle. Just like some of you need a miracle. Right now. Not all of you need a miracle right now, but there are some of you. You need a miracle right now. Let me ask you a question. What's your natural reaction when things kind of gang up on you? Just think about it. The doctor says, hey, look at this mass. We're not sure what it is, but in a week, we'll get back to you. 
What's your natural reaction when something goes haywire in your life? Look at verse um, two. So men, men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazon, Tamar, that is in Engedi. Look at verse three. Alarmed. Is that word? Alarmed. Everybody circle that word. Alarmed. Underline that word in your Bible. Alarmed. Alarmed or, or freaked out. This is the typical reaction you, you face when you, know, you, 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 when you face a, a crisis, right? I mean, when the doctor tells you they found a lump, what do you do? You're alarmed. You can't help but be alarmed. When, when I read some of your prayer cards and you write on there, pray for me, pastor, because they found a lump somewhere, you know what my first reaction is? I'm alarmed. When your teenager is, is caught drinking, you're alarmed, aren't you? That kind of freaks you out a little bit. When the boss comes and, and tells you that you lost your job, your, your natural reaction, your first reaction is alarm, isn't it? What? What am I gonna do? What's gonna happen here? Hey, the first time our building committee came and told me what, the, what a building cost, Six million. <laughs> what? You gotta be kidding me. I was alarmed. I was freaked out. I lose a lot of money. Man, when your parents, I remember my parents sat me down, I was young, and said, hey, we're divorcing. <laughs> what? I was young. I didn't understand what divorce meant, but I was alarmed. Jehoshaphat. Three armies are coming against us? Who? He's alarmed. That's a natural reaction we all have. If you aren't alarmed when some crisis hits your life, then you're weird. That's normal. The issue is, is what do you do after you're alarmed? After the initial, whoa! What do you do? Do you get discouraged and, and give up and, you know, woe is me and, 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 and don't do anything? I know a lot of Christians who do that. Do you get upset with God? Quit coming to church, you know, quit serving, quit giving. I know a lot of Christians who do that. Are you intimidated by it? Are you intimidated by, by that x-ray? Are you intimidated by the fact that your parents said they're divorced, divorcing? Are you intimidated because the building's gonna cost you six million and you're thinking, man, how in the world are we gonna pull that off? Are you intimidated by it? A lot of people are. Or are you motivated by it? Well, the people in our story in Second. Chronicles made a number of really great decisions after they heard that these three you know, enemies were coming up against them. And these are, are good decisions that we all need to make when we find ourselves facing some incredible odds or when life's ganging up on you or whatever. And the first good decision they, they made was this, is they ran to God as fast as they could. Look at verse three. 
alarmed. That's the initial response. What does Jehoshaphat do? Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek the Lord, to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. Beloved, here's this group of people that are facing something huge, they're in big trouble, and the first thing they do is, is inquire of the Lord. They come together to seek help from the Lord. In other words, they ran to God as fast as they could. Here's this crisis, they just got kidney punched. Boom, boom, oh, you're alarmed. And then, let's get to God. Let's go to him. We gotta, we gotta get to him. Every one of us needs to do the same thing when we face huge obstacles or whatever. We, we need to run to God. You need to run to God and ask him, God, what's your perspective on this problem? How, how do you see this problem? What is your point of view here, God? How do you look at the situation? See, Jehoshaphat looked at the situation with, whoa, these guys are three big armies. They got lots of bows and arrows. They got lots of spears. Whoa! We need to get to God and say, God, what is your perspective? I already know what your spouse's perspective is when you show them the x-ray. They're alarmed. I already know, you know, what human perspectives are. I get it. I don't care what your perspective is. What I gotta do is find out what his perspective is on the problem. And in just a minute, when we're done, over in the venue and in here, our pastors and elders and some of their spouses are gonna be up here. And we're gonna give you a chance to come run into God, so to speak. And last night was crazy, beautiful in here as we just prayed for lots of people, lots of people. And maybe today is a day you're gonna come forward and say, man, I need a miracle in my marriage, I need a miracle in my health, I need a miracle in my family, I need a miracle in my job, my career, whatever it might be. And maybe, maybe, God might do a miracle. He may not, I don't know, but maybe he might. Here's the deal, the, the starting point when you have a major problem is to run to God as fast as you can. That, that's what the government official did. He went running to God, okay, my son's sick, okay, my son's dying, okay. Here's the deal, I'm not gonna be angry at God, I'm not gonna be upset with God, I'm not gonna go woe is me and you know, crawl under the covers and, and not do anything, I'm gonna go find this guy. He's motivated by it. James chapter five says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. Not only is it powerful, but it's effective, it's got some juice behind it. I don't know how it all works. All I know is, is that when we pray, it matters to God. It matters. Uh, no, number two, the second good decision they made was they humbled themselves before God and admitted they needed his help. Look at verse 12. 
Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. Boy, that's a hard statement for most men to make, isn't it? I don't know what to do. Boy, that's, that's, a, that's an easy sentence to read, but man, that's a hard one to come out of our mouths, isn't it, guys? To admit that we don't have the answer? To admit that I'm lost? And yet here we have this, this man, Jehoshaphat, who's really given us a great illustration he ran to God as fast as he could and he humbled himself and said, man, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. That's a, that's a good place to be when you're just humbled before God and you say, I don't, I don't know what to do here, God. You'll never have a miracle in your life until you first realize that you you know, and admit that you need a miracle, right? I mean, as long as you're saying, you know, I could solve this marriage problem on my own. I don't need anybody's help. You know what? I think God just steps back and says, okay, go. Try to fix it. Or God, I know I'm in financial debt, but don't worry, you know, I'm going to work it all out. I think God just says, okay, if that's what you want to do and you want to work it out on your own, then go ahead and work it out. Or God, I, I know my teenager's gone sideways, but, but I'm not going to ask anybody, you know, anybody for help. God says, okay, you do that. But God says, hey, I'm here anytime you want to run to me. Anytime you want to humble yourself before me and just admit that you don't know what to do, God's there. But he'll allow his people to just do whatever they want to do. Jehoshaphat's really given us some really great wisdom here, isn't he? You see, miracles tend to occur when people say, God, I need a miracle can't pull this off. I'm lost. My marriage is so far gone, I don't even know what to do. My teenager hates me. I don't know what to do. Man, I, I don't know how, I, I, I can't get out of debt. I'm just lost, God help me. Obviously, the, the government official knew he couldn't help his son. I'm sure he did everything he could, you know, and then he finally gets to the place where he goes, I can't, I, I, I can't do anything. And he goes to God and humbles himself and says, God, help me. N number three, the third good decision they made was is that they gazed at God and they glanced at their problem. Verse 12 again, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. So here's what we're going to do. But our eyes are upon you. Can we put that verse up? Put that verse up. Can we do that? Verse 12. We got it up there? Thanks. It says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. 
The end of that verse says, but our eyes are upon you. Some of you see it in your Bible. Look, when you don't know what to do, that's a great thing to do. But my, my, my eyes are, are, are just on you. I'm gazing at you. Now the reality is, is that you, you, you gotta glance at your problem. You gotta glance at the, at the mass or the, or the lump. You gotta glance at the condition of your marriage. You gotta glance at whatever that might be, you know, the finances of your business. You gotta glance there, but you gaze here. What we tend to do is, is when we need a miracle, when things are going haywire, we just, we're gaze at the problem, you know, and then every Sunday for an hour and a half or whatever, we glance at the Lord. And it was a long time ago that a pastor shared with me after a tragedy in my family, when I needed a miracle, my wife had died in a car accident, he said, look, here, you got the option. You're either gonna gaze at the Lord and just glance at what's happening in your life or you're gonna gaze right there <laughs> and you'll glance at the Lord. And the one that you choose will determine where you're gonna end up, basically. You see, when problems hit our lives, I, I think it's just easy to gaze at your problems and, and just glance at, at the Lord. And not, not the people of Israel, not Jehoshaphat. Hey, he recognized he had a problem, but he was going to fix his eyes on the Lord. And that's what you need to do. Just keep your eyes fixed on him. When life kidney punches you, you, you tend to focus on the problems instead of focusing on the Lord, and all that does is mess up. Corey Timboom said this. She said, quote, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. Why? Because a lot of bad things are happening in the world today, right? If you look within, you'll be depressed. Why? Because all you'll see is your faults and your failings and your shortcomings or whatever. If you look at Christ, you gaze at him, you'll be at rest. I think there's a lot of truth in, in that. What do you got your eyes on? What do you got your eyes on? See, one of the beautiful things about the church coming together, like on a Saturday night or a Sunday or whatever, or let's say a concert like, like uh, uh, Citizens Way is gonna do tonight at Renew, is when you're there, you can't help but get your eyes up on the Lord, right? You come in, there's fellowship happening, and then the music starts, and it's all about Jesus, and the prayers are all about Jesus, and, and Lonnie's got us thinking about Jesus, and, 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 and then we give to Jesus, and then the preaching's all about Jesus. You can't help but for an hour and a half just to gaze upon the Lord. And while you're gazing upon him, it just does something to you. There's a peace, you're at rest. Look at verse 15, and let's see what God's response is. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judea and uh, Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you, okay? We ran to him, we, we humbled ourselves before him, we, we've admitted we got no, no juice, we're gazing at the Lord, what do you got to say, Lord? Do not be afraid. 
Don't be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but mine. Wow. God says, it's my battle. The moment you became a Christian, uh, the moment you became a, a believer, the moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, you became a part of God's family. You're one of God's children. If you've got a marriage problem, it's God's problem. If you've got a financial problem, that's God's problem. You've got a health problem, that's God's problem. You've got a teenager problem, that's God's problem. If we as a, a church family have a cash problem, you know, we need $6 million to build this new building, it's God's problem. Look, I'm an earthly father. If my daughter came home, my oldest daughter, and she said, Dad, I went to the doctor and they found this mass, you know, somewhere. Uh, that's my problem. That's my problem. You're not going through this alone. I care about my daughter. and I'm just an earthly father. And what God says to us, hey, you're part of my family, you've given your life to me, then, then you're one of my sons, you're one of my daughters, and when, when you go through a crisis, it's my crisis, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not gonna hang you out, leave, leave you, do it on your own, are you kidding me? Whatever battle you're facing, you know what, it's my battle. It's just, look, when you humble yourself and come to God and say, God, just lost. The God that's revealed between these two leather-bound covers right here is not a God who says, hey, man, you got yourself into that mess. You're on your own, man. If that was the God that was revealed here, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to talk about him. But that's not the God that's revealed in this book. He's a God that when you come to him, when you run to him, and you humble yourself before him, and you say, God, I don't know what to do, but here's the deal. My eyes are on you. I've made a mess of this thing. I've made a mess of my life. God says, okay. Let's start working this thing out together. You don't have to do it alone. So you run to God, you pray to God, you humble yourself before God, admit that you need his help, you gaze upon Jesus and glance at your, your problem. Hey, one of the things about this cross over here, just real quick, so we had our children over this last week, 650 kids, they all got a, a card like this, okay? And on it, it says, God, I know you have the power to, and then they wrote down something. That's what that cross is filled with. I pulled one off last night. This gal's name is Gigi. God, I know you have the power to, and then she wrote, Comfort me when I feel sad. She, she knows that. She believes that. She wrote it on a card and came up and said, here's, my, here's what I know to be true about you, God. And that cross is filled with children and their thoughts about the power of God, the power, what power he has to do. They believe it. N number four, the fourth good decision they made was they relaxed and believed that God was gonna show up. Look, look at verse 17. God says to Jehoshaphat and all of the people, hey, you're not gonna have to fight this battle. How many of you like those kind of battles? Those are good ones, aren't they? <laughs> 
take up your position, stand firm, believe, trust, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Oh, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Get out to face them tomorrow, and then the Lord will be with you. Wow. God says, hey, look, I'm gonna take care of this. I'm gonna blow your mind. Now, he doesn't do it that day. He may not do it tomorrow. He may not do it next week. Lord willing, next week's message, we're gonna see that 38 years went by. Guy was lame and sick for 38 years. Sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes. In this case, it took a day. But God says, just, just, just relax, chill out, believe, stand firm. When you look at this government official, he, he got it. I see a guy who was pretty relaxed. I see a guy who believed. He went to God, he humbled himself before God. He, he was gazing at the Lord, believing in his promises, and now he's just relaxed. He's believing that this is gonna all work out. Let me tell you, one of the most relaxing days of my life was the day that I resigned as the general manager of the universe. <laughs> man, I, I used to think, man, God got lucky when he got me. Man, all the gifts and talents I got. Ah, God, I'm going to fix all kinds of things. You're going to be able to use me. Wow. Oh, I'll never let you down, God. And God was saying to himself, let me down? You don't hold me up. So you can't let me down. Think you can let me down. You can't let me down, son, because you don't hold me up. Get that thought out of your mind. You're not the general manager of the universe. You're just my child. That's all you are. I'm pouring out my grace in your life. You run to God, you pray to God, you, you humble yourself before God and admit you need his help. You gaze at Jesus and glance at your problems and then you relax and believe that God's gonna come through. And then, and then the fifth Good, de good decision they made was they praised the Lord in advance for what he was going to do. And this is important. Okay. Look at verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Okay, this is an incredible story. So Jehoshaphat hears from God, and then here was his battle plan. Okay, guys, come on in here. Here's what we're gonna do. There's these three ginormous armies coming. They got spears, they got you know bows and arrows. Man, these guys are, these guys are bad. These are, these are bad dudes, they're coming. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna put together the glee club <laughs> and, uh, full of guys, and guys, you're going to walk out in front of all the soldiers and you're gonna sing praises to God. Now I'm sure the glee club was thinking, well that's easy for you to say, Josephat. 
If General Patton would have been there, he would have fallen out of his chair, right? That wasn't, doesn't sound like one of his battle plans. And so here was Jehoshaphat, you know what he was doing? This is a symbol. This is a symbol saying, God, okay, I, I, I believe all this. I believe, I'm gonna trust you. And so here are the guys all walking out, praising God, thanking God, praising God, thanking God, praising God, thanking God. When was the last time in the midst of the miracle that you need where you were praising God and thanking God in advance for the deliverance he was gonna give you? It might not end the way you want it to end. I, I know you've kind of got a thought on how this ought to end. You've got a thought on what that, how that lump ought to end. You've got a thought about how your marriage thing is going to end. You've got a thought on, I got it, I understand all that. You've got thoughts on it. Maybe gods are going to be different. But the bottom line is, in the midst of whatever crisis you're in, to worship him, to thank him, fill your home with great Christian music. Fill your home with CDs from Citizen Way where you're hearing God-honoring music. So as you're doing your chores around the house or you're doing your chores outside mowing the lawn or you're on your way to work or you're on your way to school or whatever it is, your, your mind is filled with praise and thankfulness. It'll change the way you see your problem, guarantee it. Guarantee it. I've been at the bedside of a lot of people that have passed away, literally there when they passed away. And I've walked into rooms and homes and man, it was just bleak. You just cut the stuff with a knife and it's amazing what happens when you go, hey, look, let, let, let's sing together right now. Let's do this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. And all of a sudden, you know, the next guy. And then before you know it, man, you got a whole room full of people singing, singing these great songs of truth about God. Oh, yeah, we're, we're looking at somebody who's loved by God, who's dying. I get it. Or you're in, a, in the waiting room. Someone's having some major surgery, and everybody's in there just... And you walk in and go, hey, look, I'm wondering, man, I, I, I brought a CD player. Let's put some music on in here, man, so we just don't sit around and just have our thoughts of whatever. Let's, let's think about praising God, thanking God. Believe this is going to turn out okay. Changes the whole dynamic. So you run to God, you humble yourself before God, you gaze at Jesus, you know, you relax and just believe that God's gonna come through and then, then, then you thank the Lord. And I'm gonna ask our elders and pastors to come out over in the venue, one, our elders that are over there, pastors, just to move into the front. And here's the deal. We're just gonna end with a discipline of silence. And maybe you don't need any prayer. If you don't, that's great. You can just go ahead and walk out the door. Maybe you wanna sit in here and just have a time of prayer all by yourself. You could do that too. Or you could come, I'm gonna ask Bob and Mavis, you come up here too, pastors in our community. And we got a lot of people here spread out. Doesn't have to be a long time, just come up and say, my marriage needs a miracle and they'll pray. My, my business needs a miracle, they'll, they'll pray. 
My teenager needs a miracle, they'll pray. My dad needs a miracle, I'll pray. Maybe there's somebody in your life that doesn't know Christ. To come forward and say, would you pray for my friend? They need to know the Lord. Father, thank you for today and our time. Sure enjoyed this, God. May this just be a sweet time for you, God, as people come forward. They're gonna run to you right now, Lord. And I pray this in your name, amen. So in a discipline of silence, you can leave or come right now and see one of our pastors, elders, or spouses, and let us pray for you right now.